0: So the good news is in Pennsylvania, we have pretty fair laws that say if you did not do any type of planning and you need care, um, there's still options. Now, those options look a lot different based on your scenario and also more importantly, based on your marital status. If you are married and one spouse needs care and one does not, There are ways that we can protect virtually everything for the spouse that does not need care. Now, I have to put a huge emphasis on this. If you do not have good powers of attorney in place, though, and one spouse needs care and one does not, we could be limited. Let me give you a scenario. We, um, because unfortunately, this is a scenario we run into very, very often. Um, We get a phone call from, let's say, the husband that his wife's in a nursing home. She's going to be staying there long term. Um, They, you know, so we talk to them and we say, well, the good news is, John, that, um, you know, we can protect everything for you and we can get Jane qualified for Medicaid benefits, even though you haven't done planning yet. But then at the end of the conversation, John sends us his power of attorney and and we're looking going. Oh, his power of attorney is a little outdated, or maybe not. We've seen ones that were done the week before, Um, but it doesn't allow John as his wife's agent to do certain things. Unfortunately, Jane doesn't have the capacity to make her own decisions anymore. So she can't even sign a new power of attorney and she can't, you know, consent to this. So we have to go by her last known wishes, which was the power of attorney she signed. So one of the big things um, that we're looking for is what we call unlimited gifting. So even though John and Jane are married, even though their assets are jointly owned, John has to be able to make unlimited gifts on behalf of his wife. If he cannot, if it just says gifts or it says limited gifts, he cannot make a gift over $15,000 a year. Well, that's not helpful when we have to protect a house or any other assets. We're really limited. We're stuck. So the options are we can do nothing and everything essentially is vulnerable to her care costs, or we have to pursue a legal guardianship, which is costly, (laughs) it um, takes a long time, it's the court's discretion, Um, so there's, there's a lot of extra things that need to be done. But um, if, the, the, if it's a scenario where John and Jane came to us and John called us, but guess what John did? He met with us already and he already put good legal documents in place. Jane signed good powers of attorney before she got too sick because maybe they knew you know, where things were heading. She was still able to understand at that time. In that scenario, we can jump into action and protect everything for John and get Jane qualified for Medicaid. So I know that was kind of a little bit overshare there, but I always like to give scenarios because um, it kind of goes back to that executor list. (laughs) It's never really clear cut or dry when we're dealing with um, issues in our second half of life. There's a lot of what ifs and a lot of different scenarios. um, And unfortunately a lot of it's gray. So it's kind of interpretation and figuring out what we can and cannot do. Um, Now, if we're talking about a single applicant, so this is where I mentioned, it depends on your marital status. If you need care right now, um, if, you, if you're if you a widow, divorced, single, whatever that may be, um, it looks a lot different if you need nursing home care and didn't do any planning. Now, I will say the um, power of attorney rule still is very important because now we're talking about a child or somebody else that needs to be able to make some gifts again have to go the guardianship route if they want to do any asset protection. But if we have, um, if the individual can sign a a power of attorney allowing their agent to do these things, or they have a power of attorney that already allows the gifting, um, we can generally protect half of your assets, even if you need care right now. The other half's going to be need, going to be used on your care. But We can still protect half, which is much better than what you're going to um, hear from the nursing home or the state of Pennsylvania. There's still options. So I think it's a huge, it's probably like the number one myth that um, we hear is that, um, you know, I'm in a nursing home already. It's, I just have to do what the nursing home says, or I, you know, I don't qualify for Medicaid. I have to pay this bill every month. That's not necessarily true. There's still options. We have to figure out what options make sense for you um, and your scenario and what your goals are. And there's a lot of different factors that play into it. But the reality is there's going to still be options. So that's where we come into place. This is what we do all day, every day, is work with families to figure out what your options are. Now, along with that, and this probably is the next question Kyle is going to ask. So I'll just kind of go with the flow, which is, well, what should we do now? Is there something else we should do now? Do we wait for the crisis? And and the reality is we never want to wait for the crisis. If we didn't plan there's a crisis, we'll deal with it. But we never really know what the crisis is going to look like, who's going to get sick first, when they're going to get sick, or if it's going to be sick sickness. Is it is it going to be if somebody passes away? So really planning and ahead of time and really putting um, together a solid um, plan is, is the best option. <clears throat> so how we do that can look a couple different ways also. So the, we call it pre-planning. So um, pre-planning really is something that we do when there's no diagnosis. So we're healthy. A lot of families were dealing with—they're retiring, or they just retired—and maybe they dealt with it because their mom got sick, or their dad got sick, or their in-laws, or aunts, or uncles, or neighbor—and and they they dealt with it. They know what happened. They knew it was at risk. They watched their loved one or their neighbor lose everything. So they're coming to us saying, "We're healthy, but we know we want to get this in place now. We want to do whatever we can." Or we're dealing with this when there's a diagnosis. So now mom, dad, husband, wife, something's going on Um, and we've gone to the doctor, maybe there's a dementia diagnosis, maybe it's Parkinson's, maybe, um, you know, whatever it might be, it can be physically, it can be cognitive impairment, but now we have to really think about putting a plan in place. And the key here is if we're doing pre-planning, our goal is that we're planning five years before you need nursing home care. And the reason we're planning five years before you need nursing home care is because of the five-year look back with Medicaid, okay? So sometimes we get asked, you know, isn't it seven years or is it three years? It's five. So years ago, it used to be three. It's been five for quite a while. There's some rumor going around, it's gonna be seven. I've, you know, we hear that occasionally but there's nothing in writing and legislation, it's, it's five. It's a federal rule. So it's a lot more movement <laughs> to make it increase um, versus just like a Pennsylvania rule. So <clears throat> the thought process is we want to gift assets and protect them five years before you need care. And the reason we want to do that is because if you make any type of gifts at least five years in advance of needing nursing home care, the state of Pennsylvania and the nursing home cannot look at those gifts. So five years in one day, you've made gifts, then you need nursing home care. The state of Pennsylvania cannot even ask you to disclose those gifts. It's not relevant. So we've gotten them out of your name and we've protected those assets. Now we're going to jump here in a minute and talk about like how we gift assets and and what tools we use. But first, I just wanted to mention that um, you might be thinking, well, what if I don't make it through five years? What happens? Because you're right. We don't have crystal balls, unfortunately, and make our jobs a lot easier make your lives a lot easier too. But um, so we, you know, really plan on with the information that we have, we do the best with our judgment skills and our experience to figure out what we think will really make sense. So with that being said, let's say we make gifts and then we need care in year three. Well, then we figure out what our options are in year three because the crisis can hit sooner or later, maybe it won't hit at all. So if the crisis hits year one within the gift, two, three, four, it's gonna look a lot different. And based on your um, what level of care you need, and your assets, and your income, and all of that, could really determine what our action's gonna action step will be. So I'm not gonna sit here today and talk you through all those scenarios because it honestly would just be overwhelming, and for most of us, not even relevant. But just knowing that you know our goal is always to get through the five year look back, but if for some reason you don't, there's still options. And our goal, number one goal is always to make sure that you're receiving the care that you deserve and you need where you want to receive that. But we still obviously wanna protect assets because we that's obviously was the intention when we started the plan. But let's talk a little bit here about um, how we protect assets, how we gift assets. So a lot of times, I mean, many of you might be thinking, yeah, well, don't we just give our house to our kid for a dollar? Or do we just give our assets to our kids or our beneficiaries now? And sure, you can I mean, nobody's going to stop you from giving assets to whoever you want. But we feel very strongly that outright gifting, so gifting to individuals outright, really isn't the best option for really anybody. And the reason is we like to refer to them as the four Ds. So divorce, debt, disability, and death. So let's give you some examples. So let's say we're gifting a house. The same would be true if this was money. But let's just say we're giving away a house for $100,000. We're giving it to our son. And we love our son. He's great. But let's say then we give our house to our son. We're living there. But then his, your son goes through a divorce. Well, now the house is probably part of the divorce settlement. And I'm going to guess that daughter-in-law is probably not too happy. So what's she going to do? Is she going to sell the house, make him sell the house? Is she going to kick you out? What does that look like? It's really risky. Same thing as if your son, um, you give the house to your son and he has creditors or debt. What happens then? the house is part of that. Your son now has um, a disability. He becomes injured and he needs some type of benefits. Now we're kind of back to where we were. Or what if God forbid your son dies, something happens to your son, what does his will say? Does he have a will? Um, you know, So it becomes really complicated when it doesn't necessarily need to be. Now, there's also outside of the four Ds, the Filial Responsibility Act, which says that your children could potentially be held financially responsible for your nursing home bills. Now there's a lot more that goes into it and that's not true in every situation. But we have seen filial responsibility um, pursued in courts in Pennsylvania, Um, not per se in any of the counties that we typically work in, but there have been some in Western Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, what kind of happens with court cases is once it starts in one part of the state, it kind of grows. So, you know, we always have to be aware of that. And I I know, you know, you're all here to try to learn to figure out what you can be doing. And I, I can't imagine any of us would want to put our children in a situation where they financially could be held legally responsible for our bills. Now, the, one of the biggest reasons, if that wasn't enough, <laughs> one of the biggest reasons we don't like to outright give to our children, really, it comes down to Medicaid, because you might be sitting here thinking, well, I'm never going to qualify for Medicaid. I don't need Medicaid. I'm never going to need care. But gosh, we don't really know when the crisis will hit or what it looks like. And you might need Medicaid to help pay for your care. And it goes back to that five-year look back. And if you've made gifts to your children, you know we have the filial responsibility and all that. But what what happens if you do need nursing home care and you've made gifts and now you need care? Well, if it's not done properly, and we can't potentially get the gift back, then we risk not being admitted into a nursing home. So that's a whole can of worms if we need nursing home care right now, and you know we're at risk in the community or the hospital's not char- discharging us home. But now we're not only worried about not being admitted into a nursing home, but who's going to pay for it? If you have enough resources to pay for it, then okay, it's fine. There's a lot of things that need to be done um, to make that happen appropriately, but it's still, you can still potentially protect the gift. But sometimes we run into a situation where we get pulled in later because somebody gifted their house to their child. That was their only asset besides a bank account with maybe a few hundred dollars in it. Well, now they're in a nursing home, and the nursing home's billing them eleven thousand dollars a month. And now the nursing home's saying, "Well, we're going to start discharging you because of non-payment." Well, no other nursing home's going to take them, but the nursing home's now saying well, we can't discharge them because it's not safe. Nobody else is taking them. So then they start filing suits. Now we have court issues and unpaid bills. So there's a lot of issues that could arise. So um, you're probably thinking, "Oh my gosh, you've given us all these." Re- Reasons not to gift assets, but didn't you say we want to gift assets? (laughs) And yes, we do, but we have to do it really strategic. I would never recommend that somebody makes any type of gifts without working with an elder law firm that could really talk you through the pros and cons and figuring out what the best method is to do it. So what is the best method? Well, we use irrevocable trust when we make gifts. And many of you here may have heard of trust um, and there. And honestly, there's different types of trust and they're used for different purposes. Probably the two most common are revocable trust an irrevocable trust. Now I'll say in Pennsylvania, a revocable trust really isn't gonna accomplish anything as far as long-term care. And we'll touch base a little bit later about revocable trust. But if you have a revocable trust or somebody's offering you one, just know it's not going to do anything for long-term care. We really have to use an irrevocable trust and it has to be set up in a certain way to make sure it works to protect assets against Medicaid, nursing homes, state of Pennsylvania. So when we're making gifts, we set up an irrevocable trust and tuck the assets into there. Now, the trust stays in existence through your life. It terminates after you pass away in a spousal situation, terminates after both spouses passes away, protects those assets it holds. After you pass away, it pays out to your beneficiaries. So we're still accomplishing your goal of getting the assets to your beneficiaries, but we're not putting them at risk and we're not putting you at risk by doing that.